This is Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. Week to week, we walk through different topics that people need to consider when it comes to what Gene loves to call our personal <laughs> economies. Uh, but of course, building wealth is a process, and we thought it might be helpful if we get a little bit tactical and very strategic on those things that maybe can get in the way of building wealth. Joining our conversation is Brian Leslie. He's an Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner. He's from Omaha, Nebraska. Brian, always nice to see you. Hello, Soledad. Thanks for having me. Jeans, good to see you. Good to see you too, Brian. I, I know we're going to break down these obstacles, but I always feel like they could just come under the big category called life. I mean, life just, just gets in the way. Life just throws you things that you don't expect, which is one of the reasons I think it's helpful to have another person, you know, a financial advisor in the picture to help you stay on course. I, I would imagine that that is something that you feel is a, a really big part of your job. Without a doubt, life happens. There's so many demands on our time and you know money as well. There's only so much of it to go around. And when you're younger, you have young kids in the house and it's like, well, I'll wait until they're in school and I have a little bit extra cash flow. Then all of a sudden they're in school and activities and travel dance and travel baseball and travel football and you don't have it. And next thing you know, they're graduating, you're 50 and you're like, where's my retirement savings? And now it's time to play catch up. What do the people tell you when you have a kid? Like the days are slow, but the years are fast. Like every day you're like, oh my God, another day. Uh, but then you look up and that kid is 10 and then they're 15 and then they're heading off to college and you're helping them pack their stuff. So I think it's really true. And it's why I, I use the word strategic in your introduction, right? You really have to be strategic where you're doing something consistently over time, regardless of whether you're juggling two-year-olds or you're dealing with some issue with your four-year-old, you have to consistently have a plan and a strategy. Yeah, I, I think it would be helpful to identify what the obstacles are. There are common obstacles. I know that you see them all the time. And by the way, if you don't have somebody in your life who can help you identify and work through these obstacles, personally, I think it's a good idea. You can always work with one of the planners from Edelman Financial Engines by calling 833-PLAN-EFE or visiting planefe.com. But Brian, can you just walk us through, I mean, what are these most common roadblocks? Well, the first one is just procrastination, right? We delay. The second is just spending habits and kind of accounting for where each dollar is going. Money is kind of like water. Like it'll always find a crack. If you don't intentionally save, you will spend that dollar somewhere else on something that you probably don't need. I do it all the time. We always tell clients, you got to save first. You got to pay yourself first. And if you can automate it to where it's just happening without you even knowing it, I think that's the best way to help the spending habits. Because once you pay yourself, what if the rest of the money goes to, you don't have to spend all that much time tracking down to the pennies. You are so right, though, about money being like water. It's not just like water these days. It's like a gusher because it is so invisible. We just swipe, 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 click, tap, dip, swipe. And 
if you don't stop to pay attention, this is what we do in our finance fix program at Her Money. We call it getting dirty with your data. We force people to (laughs) slow down a little bit and just look at where their money is going. And everybody has a revelation. I, I do think it's important to do it at least once. Two words come to mind when you were speaking. Amazon Prime. Mm. <laughs> like the, the fact that we can just think of something that we need or we want, we pull out our phone and next thing you know, we've ordered it. Before Amazon Prime, we used to put it on like our, our shopping list and there was some separation of time between when we thought we needed it and when we would actually purchase it. We had some time to kind of regulate ourselves and say, okay, do we really need that? With Amazon Prime, I don't know if that's happening anymore, at least not in my house. Can I add a couple other words? DoorDash and Uber, if you live in the city. You know, my kids who, you know, I want them to have Uber because often I need them to be sort of safely brought back and forth. But boy, it's just very easy to book Ubers and not even necessarily look at the cost of that Uber. And that stuff adds up fast. So I think you're right. I think it's actually great advice to get people to to dig into that first. Well, bringing this back to like some of these obstacles that are keeping us from building wealth. I'm not a huge fan of budgeting, identifying exactly what my expenses are down to the penny on certain items. Really? I'm surprised by that. I would have thought you'd be exactly the opposite and be like, budget, 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 know where you're spending every dime. It's excruciating. I hate it. And actually, I don't I don't know if it does all that good because it always changes, right? So as we think about building wealth, I don't like tracking all these small expenses and where the money's going. I would rather just pay myself first. And then what is left over after I've saved and invested and what it goes to, I don't care. It doesn't make a difference. As long as I'm paying myself first is the key thing. I think a lot of people get caught up in all of these subscriptions. Everybody is asking you to subscribe to everything these days, streaming services, shopping services. And if you go through, at one point, there was this astonishing statistic that the average household has 24 subscriptions. 24. I don't need all of these things. But the other obstacle that's standing in our way, number three of the four right now, Brian, is inflation. And I can't control that. Without a doubt. I mean, it's obviously hitting all of us straight in the face right at the moment. You know, as you think about where you're allocating your dollars, it's not just about saving. I mean, if you're saving and putting it into a savings account that's making less than 1% right now, That's not helping you fight inflation. You have to be putting and allocating these dollars into investments that are expected to keep pace and outpace inflation. Historically, these stocks have been one of the best hedges against inflation because the rate of return has historically been in excess of what inflation is average. So what is the solution? When you look at the framework for where your money should be, in this inflationary environment? What are the buckets? Just allocating dollars depending on when you're going to use them. So for example, if it's money you plan on using in the next two years, three years, probably just need to keep it in cash or savings or CDs, things that you know what the value are going to be when when you need it. On the other hand, if it's something that you're not going to need for maybe five years or 10 years down the road, you can take on a little bit of risk. And it's those risk assets that you have to take on to try to get rates of return that over and exceed inflation. Um, but but there's a price, and that price is having to deal with the, the volatility and the fluctuations, and, and obviously we're seeing that right now. We have been talking about 
building wealth and really the four main obstacles that can get in the way. We've covered three of them, procrastination, spending habits, and dealing with inflation. And now let's dive into the fourth, which is taxes. Joining our conversation is Brian Leslie, an Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner. He's from Omaha, Nebraska. Brian, nice to have you back. Let's talk about taxes as an obstacle. I'm just going to say, listen, I'm happy to pay taxes. Like, I want to pay what I need to pay. But at the same time, I want to work very hard to see if I can minimize my tax bill in, in every which way that is legal. How do you work around that for people who are trying to minimize taxes and keep building their wealth? Taxes are certainly a drag on the wealth that you build. Whether that come from things as obvious as income taxes or taxes on capital gains, but also as you withdraw from like retirement accounts and how those are taxed. That's probably one of the things that I see overlooked the most from clients is just understanding what accounts they're adding to, why they're adding to them, and then what it's going to look like on the back end as they start to take money from them. So what I hear you saying is that this is not something that you address with your tax planner at tax time. I mean, you're talking about (laughs) a process over not just years, but decades as you're thinking about, well, do I put money into this Roth or do I put money into a traditional retirement account or do I put money into a taxable brokerage account? It has to do with as you're accumulating wealth, not just as you're pulling wealth out for retirement. Let me give you a couple of examples. As you get into retirement, if all you've done is been adding to your 401k with pre-tax dollars, well, you get into retirement and you want to start using some of that money and using it to live off of. The problem is every dollar that comes out of that pre-tax account is taxed as ordinary income. And there's the obvious, which is the income tax consequences, but then there's all these auxiliary tax consequences that come along as well. So for example, Social Security. If your only income is Social Security, you may not have to pay taxes on it at all. But the more income you have, which could come from retirement accounts, it now starts to cause some of your Social Security to become taxable. Medicare is another example. The premiums that you have to pay in retirement are dependent upon what your income level is. So the higher income that you have, the more you may have to pay for Medicare premiums. So you need to be cognizant of what are the tax ramifications as I start to withdraw from these accounts, and you want to make sure that you know where these levels are at. That way you don't end up, say, taking an extra $5 and you cross above that threshold. Now, all of a sudden, you're paying a couple of thousand dollars extra a year in Medicare premiums. When we talk about different sorts of investments that we are stockpiling for the future, different kinds of assets have different kinds of tax burdens. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So there's different taxes on different assets, but it also depends on what type of accounts you own those assets in. So if you're just holding stocks and bonds in a brokerage account, a lot of folks don't realize that the tax treatment is different. For example, bonds pay interest and interest is taxed as ordinary income. Capital gains from a stock or qualified dividends are taxed at lower tax rates than what ordinary income is. And so you need to know what those different levels are and where you fall. I'm listening to all of this and I'm thinking, okay, I 
I need help. And fortunately, we have help. What is EFE's methodology on tax efficiency? First thing I would say is it's not just about the taxes. It's understanding that taxes are a drag on your wealth. The ultimate goal here is to protect and grow your wealth. So number one, as you're choosing investments, you need to know what the different tax consequences are for those particular investments. If your portfolio and your situation calls for holding bonds, maybe you would like to hold those in more tax-efficient vehicles like an IRA or a 401k. On the other hand, if it's stocks where you get preferential tax treatment and lower tax rates, maybe you'll hold those in your taxable or your brokerage account. The other thing I would say for those folks that are in or near retirement, it's understanding what the tax ramifications are going to be as they start to draw from these different accounts. Usually at the end of the year or at the very beginning of the year, I will be talking to my clients that are planning on using their portfolio to live off of like, hey, how much do you expect to need this year? That way we can put together a strategy for how much we're going to withdraw from each of these different buckets to make sure they're not causing any unnecessary tax consequences and getting surprised by by any of these items. This is also really important when it comes to your social security strategy, right, Brian? Like figuring out where you're going to pull money from if you want to delay claiming Social Security in order to boost your monthly check, which people should want to do in the vast majority of situations. you got to look at where am I going to get this money to live on so that I can let my Social Security grow by 8% a year. That's a huge point. Oftentimes, we recommend folks try to push out their Social Security That doesn't necessarily mean we're trying to encourage them to retire later. It just means we will be withdrawing from their portfolio to bridge the gap. As we think about taxes specifically in this discussion, every dollar that you get from your portfolio, let's say it's from an IRA or 401k that's pre-tax, that's a dollar of income. But if you get a dollar from Social Security, you're only having to report at the maximum 85 cents of income. In other words, you get a dollar from Social Security, but only 85 cents shows up on your tax return as income. I think we should get into the integrated wealth plan. As my dad would like to say, there is not a snowball's chance in hell that you're going to magically wake up at the age of 65 having not been completely intentional and strategic and somehow have set it up to work perfectly for you, where you've been able to avoid taxes and increase your wealth by making sure you're paying taxes on those things that you owe and those things that you actually don't owe taxes on, you're not overpaying or accidentally paying, and you're actually able to shunt that back into your wealth. So then let's talk about what an integrated, strategic, intentional plan actually looks like. As you think about a plan, I think it involves everything from, am I saving enough? Do I have enough accumulated? To, am I putting this in the right type of investment? Am I putting this in the right type of investment account? What are the tax ramifications? Do I have it growing at the pace that I need it to grow at? But it's not just about building and growing it. It's also about protecting it, which means like, what are the curveballs life could throw at us? There's things like death and we get life insurance to protect our family or our dependents. But there's also things like long-term care insurance because the cost there is getting 
astronomical. Right now, I think it's about 100 grand a year for the average stay in a long-term care facility. And so you got to plan for those types of expenses. The last thing I would say is like, this stuff isn't siloed. You really need to have somebody looking over the entire picture to make sure everything's working together and is coordinated. And so I think that's, that's the key thing that I would say about, you know, what is an integrated wealth plan? Well, it's, it's tying all these things together because they are tied together. These things are not siloed. Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky is sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com.